bum bum bottom 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 bum
episode three on Thanos and death detailing the adventures of Deadpool versus Thanos. But until then, enjoy this panel and uh, we'll meet you back after the panel to give a little quick outro. But I don't know. I hope you guys enjoy this. See you later, alligators. All right. Guys, welcome to the Writing with Purpose panel. Thank you so much for coming out um, for day two of Boston Con. Um, I already walked the floor and it's super exciting, so I hope you guys have fun with the rest of your day. Um, I'm just going to start off with some brief introductions. I'll start off with myself and then we'll go down the line. And we've been doing this panel for three years, so if you guys don't mind, when you introduce yourself, could you also um, kind of talk about where you were three years ago at the start of this panel and where you are now. I think that's an important part of the journey for everybody to know because you have to start somewhere. <laughs> and these guys have grown so much in their career. So I'll just start with myself. Um, my name is Liz Reed. I am one part of the artist duo Cuddles and Rage. Um, I got my start self-publishing and going to cons like this. I was at the first, very first awesome con. And um, over time, I did more shows and then got into traditional publishing. So I have two picture books with HarperCollins that came out, and I'm currently working on a graphic novel. So for me, my writing process um, has been a 10-year journey. Hi, I'm Emily Sears. I got my start um, kind of going to film festivals and just meeting people. And I was a big fan of the Birth Movies Death site and met a lot of people there, and that's who I've been publishing with. But I've started blogging. I've been having my own self-publishing for 10 years, probably longer than the same amount of time. Uh, since last year, or the first year we did this, actually, I was really just getting started. I've just had a few articles published on Birth Movies Death. And since then, I've left my day job, and I'm pursuing freelance writing full time. I'm Lisa Gullickson. This is actually my first time at this panel. Um, I write for AfterMovieDiner.com. You can also see my bylines on Film School Rejects and TrekNews.net. And um, I'm also part of the podcasting team of In the Mouth of Dorkness. And um, we have a new podcast too, Comic Book Couples Counseling. So it's we're pretty really good. <laughs> We're currently doing Thanos and Mistress Death. Yes, and we're using, so it's the marriage of comics and self-help books. So if anybody has been watching Netflix and seen Brene Brown pop up, she's the daring greatly lady. She's amazing. So. She can really help the Mad Titan. Mm-hmm. It's true. Uh, I'm Brad Gullickson. Uh, three years ago when I started this panel, I was primarily just blogging for In the Mouth of Darkness. I had uh, just started writing a weekly column for Film School Rejects, and now I'm a daily uh, news writer there, plus I write for Diabolique Magazine, Nonfix, Trek News, and co-host with this lovely lady, the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. I, I think the one thing that we all have in common in our writing journey is that it started off very, very small. Um, I don't feel like there's anything, no such thing as like an overnight success when it comes to writing. I feel like it's a gradual buildup of your network and just kind of honing in on your craft. So um, if we could just go in reverse, starting with you, Brad, can mm. you uh, name the specific moment where you got your first article out there and how you got to that stuff? Well, I mean, my first article uh, was way back in uh, 2000. Uh, for the cabinet of Dr. Casey Horror website. That was the, I got paid $20 for a book review of a Douglas Clegg novel. I was really excited. And then I got lost in the world of retail for 11 years. Uh, oh, and, and I took a sidestep into middle school teaching for a year. And then I did... Uh, an article about Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, and how it's a great Star Trek film, and everybody's wrong about that movie, for Trek News. And then Trek News led to One Perfect Shot, and One Perfect Shot led to Film School Rejects. But did you reach out to them, or how did that work? Oh, I reached out. To, I became a moderator on Dr. Casey way back when, and then they asked me to contribute reviews. And then I started the blog, my own, and then that got noticed. 
So from, you were saying the first one was like 2000. 2000, yeah. So did you continue to stay in contact with the same people over that long period of time? Until that blog went under okay. and couldn't pay anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's really key is that it's about staying in contact with people that you meet on your journey because honestly, you never know like where they will end up in their career or where you'll end up in your career. And it's that human relationship that really makes it happen. So my that Star Trek V got noticed by Jeff uh, Shaw, who did Daily Grindhouse. And we stayed in touch through Daily Grindhouse for a long time. And then when he launched One Perfect Shot, he asked me to come on board. And so that was all through fostering a relationship. Well, when Brad got hooked up with One Perfect Shot, he was like, my wife is also a really great writer. Nepotism. Yay! And so I started writing with One Perfect Shot, and I was so excited and so into it. I wrote an article that I loved, What the World Needs Now is David Oyelowo. Ava DuVernay retweeted it, super excited. And then my summer ended because I was a full-time music teacher at a pre-K through eighth grade school. And so I just kind of ghosted from one perfect shot. And I have a lot of regret and guilt about doing that. So I taught at the school for five years, writing when I could. And then I decided that I wanted to make my writing a priority. So I decided to um, switch my day jobs to something that was more flexible. So I switched from teaching full-time at a school to teaching in-home piano lessons and music lessons so that I could prioritize and work with my own schedule. And I think that that is a really important lesson of if you want to be a writer, you have to pick your day job that will give you time and flexibility. And when I was a teacher, I waited until teaching was untenable. And I don't think that there's any reason to wait that long. If you have the flexibility and you have something that you can do where you can make your own schedule while writing in the meantime, that's really invaluable. And it wasn't until I switched where I had time to go to Fantastic Fest. I had time to go to Sundance and write reviews for the Sundance Film Festival. That's stuff you can't do when um, you have a full-time teaching job. Lisa quit her job. I quit my job. I made it look so great. <laughs> <laughs> and then now we're the poorest writers on the planet, mm -hmm. but we're in front of you guys. And so you do have to like sacrifice to make this stuff work. And you can make coffee at home. You can make coffee at home. Starbucks <laughs> okay, is expensive. I learned how to make myself special coffee. I think that's, that's the number one thing. Like, make your, learn how to make yourself coffee so you can save money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, Emily? Okay, so mine, has anyone heard of we were talking about Fantastic Fest earlier. Has anybody ever heard of that festival in Austin, Texas? We it's amazing. Yay! It's been right. going for the last seven years, and that's really how my writing career started. I started as a fan of a bunch of writers on Birth Movies Death, and I met them at that festival and developed a relationship, and it kind of just came down to speaking to one of them and asking, do you ever accept pitches from outside? And they said yes, and the first pitch I did was for their... They do a magazine... Uh, for certain movies that they work at the Alamo Draft House. So they do a magazine and the first one was Stephen King. I wrote an article about Pet Cemetery for that. And then on the website I published uh, an article, an editorial about a movie I love for Thanksgiving called Home for the Holidays. Has anyone seen that? Yeah. It's one of my favorite movies I don't feel like anyone ever talks about. So that was my first editorial. I had a lot of fun. It went up on Thanksgiving Day, so it was very exciting. And since then, I, like Lisa was saying, I did have a full-time job and would just write whenever I could for them, um, which would be maybe once or twice a month. Sometimes it wasn't, but now it's, I've left my job and I've been given more opportunities since then to go on like set visits and um, meet people and do more interviews. And when you have more time, you get more opportunities, it seems like, which is great. Yeah, that is very true. Um, Thank you, Emily. Uh, I also, I also left my day job five years ago to do cuddles and rage full time. Um, prior to that, to what you guys were talking about, I had to make time for my writing and putting my art up. So I would wake up before work and work on cuddles and rage, and then after work, and then work on the weekend. So it was like full time, put your heart into it. You know, that's how you're going to make things happen. And then if you do have the opportunity to either get a job that allows you to have more time, or if you can, you know, just 
take a year to try and focus full time on your writing, um, just have a plan. So for me, I had to the budget, like what would that look like for a year? And I think you guys had to budget two to make it work. Yeah, we're good at budgeting. <laughs> <laughs> when you go, oh no, there's no more money left, we better not spend it. That's our, our strategy, our budget strategy. Well, I think the challenging thing is, okay, say like, um, for us, like we got a book deal, and that, that first year that I got the book deal after I left my job, I was like, oh my gosh, okay, this, this is happening, this is working. It doesn't mean, <laughs> once you get one book deal, it doesn't mean the second book deal comes. So just, you have to build in a budget and, and make it work for you, because even if you do get a contract or you do get a website that you write for, you're still competing against a sea of people. And so that leads me to my next point that I want to talk to you guys about. Um, you know, it's not a coincidence that we're all up here. We're all part of, you know, the same social group. We all met through a film club and looked at each other and were like, hey, you're doing cool things and you're doing cool things. And through this relationship over four or five years, um, we lifted each other up and, and brought different opportunities to each other. So, um, and I think that's how you have a long-term career. I, I just want to hear from you guys, your experience um, with networking and the value of that. And then on top of that, um, not to multi-layer the question, but networking can sound like a dirty word, like it's done wrong, but um, it's actually a very beautiful thing if it comes from a genuine place. So if you can touch on that as well. I think you have to be incredibly proactive in friendship, right? Uh, you know, we went to that film club, we met you rad people, uh, and then we, you know, I was like, what? Emily writes for Birth Movies Death, or she knows people at Birth Movies Death? How, how do I get to know people at Birth Movies Death? <laughs> and then you just become really friendly with Emily until she accepts you. Uh, <laughs> I just bring her wine, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, I think you have to find the people who are doing what you want to be doing and pursue them and figure out how they did it. And there is no single path to success. And also you have to admit to yourself that failure is part of the option. It is, is not, failure is success. And so submitting rejection, rejection, rejection. And I'm still going through that process and feeling uncomfortable and feeling sad uh, every time I get an email back that says, no thanks. Um, and you have to just accept that those no thanks are building to a thank you at some point. And you have to put yourself in crowds who are doing the things that you are passionate about, like going to Fantastic Fest. Like going to AwesomeCon. Going to Chattanooga Film Festival and meeting a bunch of filmmakers. And then once you meet all of these wonderful people, you have to Marie Kondo <laughs> out the people who don't bring you joy. Just because... I mean, that's true. That's just because someone looks like... Um, they can give you an opportunity doesn't mean that you have to hang out with that person. There's lots of really beautiful, wonderful, generous people who want to give you opportunities. And there's a lot of people who are selfish with opportunities and don't keep knocking on that door if it's making you feel sad or inadequate or whatever. Find people that you like. We love hanging out with these people. Don't, don't hang out with people that you don't like because you think they might be able to give you something. Because guess what? If you don't like them, they probably won't. Yeah. Emily, anything to add? Well, I know the hardest part for me, as Lisa was saying, is putting yourself out there. Like, I was really protective of everything I read or was, had lacked confidence and ever letting anyone else, you know, see what I was writing. Or, and so putting yourself out there sometimes can be the hardest thing, but... I think it's also the most important thing. And like they said, even if you are communicating with people or if there are writers you admire or site you really want to work, work for, um, read them and speak to them online. They, writers love it when you tell them that you loved their article or you connected with what they wrote in some way. A so retweet a can validate way. my life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when I put out an article and Emily doesn't retweet it, I feel sad. <laughs> <laughs> And when you're putting out things, if we're talking social media, when you're putting things out on social media, the worst you'll hear is, we don't like it. Whatever you wrote was stupid. That's not the worst. The greatest you'll get is like a retweet. But, I, but what you'll hear most of the time is nothing. Yeah. And you have to make your peace with that. Like, 
It's, I, I personally find it very discouraging when I work really hard on an article and then I tweet it out and then nothing happens. And guess what? That's most of the time. Yeah, that's, that's just the daily struggle. Is you're, you're sitting there, you're working for hours, days, all your weekends on an article and maybe three people comment or say something. But you got to know, too, that not everyone out there that's reading it is... Not everyone's commenting. Not everyone is participating in the conversation. So the important part is to just keep putting yourself out there. Yeah, and I would um, speak to the networking and social media part. Um, for me, networking-wise, I hit up a lot of beautiful conventions in the MDBA area. Um, I don't know, have any of you guys heard of Small Press Expo? Okay, right. Isn't that, that's like the best. I love it so much. Um, awesome Hub is wonderful too. It's just a different crowd. So um, for me, a place like Small Press Expo was a wonderful place to put my mini comics out um, because publishers and even um, producers from different networks like Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, like they come to Bethesda and they hunt for new talent. Um, like the past two years ago, um, we anyone who uh, was an exhibitor at Small Press Expo had the opportunity to pitch a show to Nickelodeon. Like how amazing! It's just about seizing that opportunity. Um, there's also a great show called uh, Mocha Fest in New York. Um, I highly suggest that if you're able to um, afford or team up with somebody to grab a table up in New York, like that's where um, all the publishers are. And uh, like, how wonderful that we live on the East Coast and we can just take a train up and, and those guys will be there. Uh, so that's actually how I got into um, getting my agent and getting a book deal and meeting editors. Um, and you know, I've gone every year to those festivals for the past like six or seven years just so I can keep meeting new people and maintain those contacts with the industry people and also new artists out there. Um, for me, the experience is not just going and talking to people who have been already established, but looking at the new talent, because honestly, like I'm sure you guys go to these shows all the time, and, and sometimes it's hard to find that unique view. You kind of put your blinders on because everything looks the same. So if you have something new and unique to bring to a show, do not be shy. Like, my stuff is super weird. You get told it's weird all the time. I embrace that a little bit. Um, so if you feel like you have something unique, like, that's the stuff you got to bring. And so that leads into my next question. There are a lot of people writing about movies. How did you make yourself stand out? Because if you're just going to blend in or try and mimic somebody else, I don't think you're going to make it that way. I mean, that's... Like, you're right. How do you stand out? Uh, I don't know. Like, like, <laughs> you're like, off the panel. I, no, no, it, it's, um, all you, you have to bet in yourself and that, that you have to put faith in your point of view and, and your enthusiasm and that people will, will, will pick up on it. I can tell you that, you know, our film podcast, In the Mouth of Darkness, it, it does drown under the weight of things like slash film or epic film guys over here. Or, or, or there's so many amazing film podcasts. But then Lisa and I start Comic Book Couples Counseling podcast, and uh, we have narrowed our focus. And we our listenership is not as strong as our film. Yes, it's new. Not not yet, but the participation yes is. Uh, much more active. That, that's what really matters, and not to cut you off, but mm, I think also in terms you. of social media, like, who cares if somebody has, like, 25,000 likes? Like, that really doesn't bring you the jobs. It's the engagement. It's the people that you're building relationships with, and then also when you guys are saying to, like, email and talk to somebody, that's that's how you comment on work, and, and that's really what brings you the audience and brings you, you know, the money with it. Well, you have to put out a lot of content, right? And, you know, we record uh, every Sunday on In the Mouth of Darkness, and we get engagement on some episodes, and other episodes we have that blow up. And so as long as you're putting out as much content as possible... I think that's a really important point. Something will hit. Volume. Volume of work. Because when those opportunities arise, hey, you're a film, uh, you're a film writer. Um, what? Where's your stuff? You want to have a place to point. Yeah. Right. So, like, when we applied for writing at Sundance, we had 
five years of podcast content and interviews to point to. We had his writing on Film School Rejects. We had my writing on After Movie Diner. So when the opportunities arise, you want to have that volume of work. But what if you don't have that volume? You have to make that volume. I'm actually going to touch on that yeah. because I, not that I disagree, but I come, I'm a different... We can I find work, Emily. I work in a different way. Right. Uh, I don't... Some people are doing four or five articles a day, and I have two deadlines right now that are stressing me out beyond belief, right? So I don't produce the same amount of volume that that somebody at Slash Film or most people at Brooke Movies that for turning out every week. I just don't do that. It, I, it takes me a long time to get in the zone of what I'm writing, and I really want it to be well thought out, and I want it to... So because I take longer, I produce less content, but I'm consistent. About it, so I think consistency is also a really good thing to work towards, not just volume. Well, I think looking at the difference between how all of us work on this panel, um, I think yes, consistency is key, even if it's lower volume. Um, I think that when you're higher volume, you're kind of creating more opportunities for yourself. But it should be higher volume yet still good quality. Like I followed a lot of what comments over there that post every day, and I'm like. <laughs> you stick to a schedule, so they kind of help me hang on. But um, I think that if you're on the end of lower, lower quantity, good quality, that's where the networking really you have to continue and lean on. So you might not be able to create content as much, but the people who will help you get to that next step, like that's something that you absolutely can't slap on. Slater and days and confused. It's quality, not quantity. <laughs> Um, so another thing, like once you get into the industry, you know, eventually, I mean, I'll, if you have a question about agents, like we can get to that in the Q&A, but I want to talk about editors right now because I think we all have our own unique experiences working with editors. Um, so what has that been like for you? I feel like just hearing stories from Brad, I feel like I have a pretty easy view in my editors. <laughs> she does. <laughs> I, I feel like I've heard some they don't, they kind of are more like I send the piece in, they edit, if they make any changes, they don't come back to me. Right? Yeah, but you're they focusing on, on quality and I'm focusing on volume. You're, yeah, well, you have to write with a speed, yeah, yeah, that I don't have to. And I'm perfectly this. happy sucking. I have written news posts too, though, and yeah. those are hard. Those are much harder because I'm not, I don't have that can, quick can we, can, we, can we pause for a second? Mm. Can, um, can Brad or Emily, can you guys slow down and, and break down a news post versus um, an editorial? Um, so for my news writing, you know, that's, it's like chopping wood. Because uh, everybody, I don't understand film news writing, and I partake in it. But what, what but is it? Film news writing is... I don't like know. Tra- like uh, a new trailer came out. J- yeah, a new trailer comes out, you need to break it down shot for shot. Uh, but... With news writing, you're usually pitched, you know, I'm on salary, so they say, these are the big items, we want you to focus on these. So I accept those assignments, I do a trailer breakdown of uh, um, the new Star Wars trailer. Uh, Somebody gets cast in something, or may get cast in something, and I have to write about how this may be a good idea or a bad idea. It's gibberish, But, but you have to put your own personality into it, you have to put your own touch on it and hopefully people enjoy reading your point of view on it and you know you can like the film school rejects version of that trailer breakdown or you could like the birth movies death version of that trailer breakdown uh essay writing or article writing like the weekly column that's you go to them you pitch and for fsr i don't know how it is for uh, bmd emily but i pitch a title a subtitle a description uh, a point of view and it's, I mean, that can take way too much time. Uh, so you have to manage how much time you're going in through the pitch process. They either approve it or they don't. Um, yeah, it's way more casual, I think, in general. And uh, birth movies, death, we're, in, we're all on Slack together all day. And kind of whatever news comes in, it's either our main news guy, Scott Wampler, who's great because he does have that quick wit and he can just write something in seconds. Um, but... Um, can you can you talk about the um, column that you actually pitched for the month? The monthly column. Um, yeah, I actually kind of I 
originally pitched it just kind of asking if they, because I knew there were other columns on the site that I saw posted all the time, weekly and monthly columns. So I just kind of reached out and I had, because I write a monthly column about book to film adaptations and just reached out and like, would you guys be interested in this? And a few movies that were coming up kind of that coincided with releases that were coming out. Um, trying to keep it current is another thing I try to do with that column of maybe relating to an anniversary of either the movie or the book or related to another movie that's coming out. So. Yeah, I think that you guys hit on a lot of success in your careers um, by hitting on anniversaries or whatever is like trending up in your career. Um, Lisa, is there anything you want to touch on? Um, well, I mostly do reviews, and um, After Movie Diner is very genre-centric and kind of goes off the beaten path, so I'll get, like, a crazy, you know, screener to Lederhosen Zombies, and I have to come up with my hot take on Lederhosen Zombies. But, um, review, like, for me, my idea with reviews is I'm not speaking for the filmmaker, I'm not speaking for fans. I'm speaking for myself, and I'm speaking for a, from a place of love in film. Um, that's something I like about One Perfect Shot. That's something that I like about Birth, Movies, Death. Something I love about After Movie Diner, where it's really about like positivity and celebration rather than pointing at things you don't like and laughing. That's the thing I love the most, actually, about editorials is you're usually when I'm pitching for that is something that I love and usually an older movie that maybe a lot of people haven't seen, so your article or isn't getting it on people's radar, and that's my favorite thing. And Lederhosen Zombies is great if you have <laughs> not seen it. Um, and I'll touch on, you know, talking to an editor in the purpose world and um, less article-based. And for me, that experience has been different from person to person. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with my work or not. Um, I'm a mixed media artist, and so I do a lot of, like, 3D sculpted foods and faces. So we get like a lot of um, children's books editors coming for our stuff, uh, but we're cuddling great, so we have a dark side. <laughs> <laughs> so in our experience, um, talking to editors, we've had a mix of um, giving an editor what they want because you know they have a deadline they have to meet, but then also injecting ourselves in there. Because in other words, sometimes you have to compromise with the editor that you're working with because the truth is that like if you're not selling books, then you're not making money and then you're not having a career. Um, if you just go into this business thinking that I'm just going to do what I want, uh, it doesn't really work that way. And at first, I personally saw that as like a self-sacrifice. Um, and I was like, but, but I really like dark stuff for kids. Um, <laughs> But the more that I've matured in my career and working with different editors, um, you just you find a way to meet what is being requested of you, but then also have yourself in there as well. I think it's a little bit hard to explain, but in summary, I would say um, listen to your editor and try and find a way that works best for the two of you. Because if you go into writing um, with an all-or-nothing approach, then it's, it, you're not going to be able to work with anyone because um, writing a book is a very collaborative process. Um, so for me, I write a book with my husband, but then when you get in and you get hired by a publishing company, then not only is it with you and your writing partner, but then it's you and the editor has opinions and then the art director has opinions. And so a book is, in my opinion, especially picture books or graphic novels, it's really written by four different people. Um, and, and when that works really, really well, um, then that's when a huge success breaks out. Um, I would like to open up to questions, but I just want to see if you guys have anything else you'd like to touch on. I mean, I, you know, your comment about editors, uh, they are the gatekeepers, right? Mm -hmm. So you do have to have a good relationship with them, even if you think they're wrong all the time. <laughs> um, and, and you have to compromise and, and find, you know, find a way to work with, with your partners. Yeah. Um, so. When we're not when we're not writing, how do we make money when we're not writing? Yeah. Okay. Um, wow, I come to conventions like this. I'm at D14, so just come on by. Um, but no, uh, so for me, I'll speak to me and then we'll go down the line. Um, I put my work out there. 
either on Instagram mostly or through my conventions, and then I do client work. Like I did a whole thing for Stranger Things and for Netflix. Um, I've done things for Barnes and Noble. So, and that's really too where that client work, um, you know, whether it's writing or art, you kind of want to really then lean into what the client wants and, and put yourself to the side, uh, just because. Uh, it's a totally different relationship and you know that you're basically doing work for hire and you, you have to be able to put that professional cap on that you're like, okay, uh, you know, this might not be the most exciting thing that I'm going to be doing right now, but in order for me to keep going, I need to make this work. Um, writing is my main source of income. I mean, of course, I'm married and have a wonderful partner that has a full-time job, so that helps. I should, when leaving the job for me, it was more that I am also writing uh, my first young adult novel right now, and that was the priority. I needed more time to do that, so that is the focus and the reason that I was taking some time off, just to see how it goes. I came from a musician background, so if you need piano lessons, if you need singing lessons, I do weddings and funerals. If you're getting married, if you're dead, I'll be there. It, for me, switching from full-time teaching to doing piano and voice lessons, blah, 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 was really about making time for the stuff that I want to do. If you want your hobby to be your job, you have to have time and you have to prioritize. So if you find yourself working a grind and you come home and you're drained and you're exhausted and you're unhappy, you have to prioritize yourself and what you wanna do. So it wasn't an easy choice for the both of us. We are way broker than we were when we were both working full time, but I promise you we're way happier. So yes, I, as I said, I worked for Barnes & Noble for 11 years. I was the store manager at the Clarendon Barnes & Noble. Um, and uh, I, I had a good time with that job. I enjoyed that job. But I started to have success in writing. And I realized that if I wanted to build that as a career, I would have to sacrifice this other thing. And thankfully, Lisa's job. I'm his sugar mama. She is my sugar mama. <laughs> and she does, she's not joking, like piano lessons and voice lessons and weddings and funerals. She's making pretty good money doing it. In comparison to uh, full-time teaching at a Catholic school, so that's... Yeah. <laughs> and and, and, and like, it, your, your success with that very flexible job allowed me to quit my job. So, I mean, welcome. we did sacrifice finances, and I don't get to buy comics every Wednesday like I used to. Our health insurance, not as great. Uh, yeah, let's not, let's not talk, talk about, about it. it. <laughs> it's really sad. It's a really sad conversation. Um, any other questions? Yes. Start a blog. Start a blog and share it on social media. Or Find people who are already doing that and, you know, connect with them. There's also communities like Wattpad. Have you heard of that? I know a lot of people write a lot of fan fiction and stuff. I don't know if you kind of combine, like, two things that you love into one fantasy story that you make up yourself. People do that a lot and find a lot of success that way. And it, that just you practice writing that way and then you eventually come up with your own story. In Wattpad, actually, um, if you follow them closely, uh, Netflix is going to them for show ideas. So I think there have been a few successful writers on there that now have um, television deals. And it's a much more like social kind of thing. So people read and like on your posts and can comment on them. So you have a community there, too, that's helping you. But pitch everywhere. Mm. Write a story and pitch it to everyone and be rejected by all of them but one. Part of the rejection part of it is, I mean, it is really hard. Find one person in your life who is your support person, who no matter what you do, they'll always be like, but you're the best, you're like, thank you. <laughs> it, it, really, it really makes a huge difference because um, like, if you get sad and down on yourself, it's so hard to be successful. You just have to really have a community of people or at least one person that really believes in you too. Yeah, and just going back to basics, just finish one story to start with. I mean, finish one thing from start to finish and give it to someone and get some feedback on it and go from there. Any other questions? Oh, sorry. If you want to get started in like, self-publishing stuff, like, 
how do you figure out what to write about so that your blog isn't just like a pile of like random stuff? Because I've got like five like nonfiction, very broad topics that I can write about, and then also like writing fiction, poetry, and stuff. So like, how do you get your blog to focus so it's just not a pile of like everything you love? What do you love like, the most? Like, just focus on that. <laughs> yeah, there's disability, environmentalism, LGBTQ issues, podcasts, and I also like writing fiction and poetry. So it's just like. Yes. Uh, did anybody hear the question? Or do you want me to repeat it? Okay, so the question was basically like, what if you want to get into writing and start writing your blog, but you have lots of different interests? So focus is incredibly important, but sometimes you don't have a focus while you're starting. So you need a place that is free range. And that's what In the Mouth of Dorkness was originally. It was just like, here's my thought today, and I put it out in the world. But then as you're putting out just bunch of random stuff, you will find a focus at some point, and then you want to turn that focus into something else. Yeah, that's what I was going to add. It's your blog. I mean, you should, whatever you're passionate about at the time, I don't see any issue if it's going to be a bunch of different subjects. I mean, it's the writing that counts, right? So, And sometimes the right thing will bubble up organically, and then you'll find you're focusing on that. Is that a question here? Yeah. What are your tips on, like, world building and creating your own Oh, she's your girl. <laughs> <laughs> Am I? Oh, I do a lot of uh, weird things. Like when I'm creating characters, I'll make playlists from their point of view. Or if I'm writing a certain time period, I'll only, like, if I'm writing in the 90s, she's only going to listen to music from the 90s, right? So that's what her playlist is. I use Pinterest to make character visuals, like um, locations that I save out for what I'm writing. Because sometimes if I'm stuck, it really helps me to have something to music one to put me in the mood of what I'm working on, or a visual to help me describe what I'm trying to say. And I also think um, making yourself like a story bible. Uh, so with the graphic novel I'm working on right now, like I have this 64 page thing, did not start out that long, but you just kind of build your own rules of that world um, because you, you don't want to break the fantasy that you're creating. Any other questions? Oh, that's okay. Yes, right here. Uh, how would you say that you got over your own internal critic that's you know, at times that we, as writers or even podcasters or whatever, we may hear ourselves or write ourselves right and say, that's a bunch of bull and just throw it to the side, but how would you say Great question. Um, like, what would you use to um, get over being your own self-critic? I think I want Lisa to answer that one because oh. I feel like you've come the longest way following your career. That's so sweet. Um, I haven't gotten over my own self. <laughs> every day and like every time like we put a podcast out I'm like Ugh, I can't believe I said that after this panel it's gonna be Ugh, I can't believe I said that but the problem it like well you can't be criticized for stuff that you don't put out there and for a person who's scared of putting stuff out there that can feel very safe like, well, oh, well, if it's just my blog for myself, nobody's going to hate on it. But also nobody's going to read it and nobody's going to love it. So even though, like, when you get to a certain point and you go, this finished product isn't perfect, but I have to put it out. Just, like, instead of taking your bowl and throwing it to the side, take your bowl and throw it out. And just see what people have to say. The, you know, nobody can become a fan of you if you're just not a fan of yourself. Well, I think that's how I would be a fan of you, Lisa, because you're very unfiltered, and Lisa's unfiltered, too. And so is, well, everybody up here is pretty much. Yeah, but Lisa's <laughs> but really I mean, unfiltered. But, it, but I feel like, you know, like, I mean this in the sweetest way possible, like, some stuff will just come out of Lisa, and I feel like you're so honest, and you're so vulnerable with your audience, that it just makes, I mean, I know you, but I think it makes sure everyone feel like they know you, that you're not afraid to put yourself out there. Even though, and even when she feels awkward about it, just take a second to acknowledge it and be like, that was weird. <laughs> Coming back to that, too, when we're talking about your audience and stuff like that, that's also where it comes, where the people who are reading your work and are continuously reading your work and commenting on it, that's where that comes back in. The writer wants to hear from you. Right? Like I write, especially when I write about film, I'm writing to start a conversation. 
right? And even though I may not participate in that conversation that they're having, the important part is that you started it and people are responding to it and connecting with something that you write. So when people tell you that, I mean, you don't ever really stop criticizing yourself or get over like the imposter syndrome or we all struggle with that, right? It never goes away. But having people read your work and respond to it is when it really starts you start to feel like, oh, maybe I have something here. Maybe I'm doing a good job. I mean, I agree with everything you guys said. I, I dislike everything that I write. But the, the, the nice thing is, is when you put something out there and somebody tells you you're stupid, the first time someone does that, it's awful. Second time somebody does it, it's not so bad. Third time, fourth time, fifth time, you write a series of 22 MCU articles building up to Endgame, people are going to tell you you're dumb. <laughs> And you just, that's, that's all good. It's, it's people are getting passionate about your wrong opinions. And that's, that's good. That's conversation. Yeah. And Ben, are we good for one more question? Okay, well, Ben's doing anything. Yes. Um, I have a question about creating is where it's at right now. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so our podcast, Comic Book Couples Counseling, like there is not another podcast out there that is the combination of romance in comics and self-help. So we found our thing that made us as a couple unique and we were super excited to make and we just put it out there and coming from it mod which is more of like I, the spaghetti at the wall approach yeah we've been doing it longer we have more listeners but we don't get the same interaction that we get from comic book nerds who are the best i mean we've been doing that for four months and we're still trying like welcome to night nightville what a fantasy that would be to, like, <laughs> like, that's never going to happen for comic book couples counseling uh, but you have to find people who are already kind of talking about that stuff, engaging with them, finding other podcasts that are sort of in your world, becoming their friends, sharing their stuff, and then they'll share your stuff, you know. But also setting up a schedule is really important. Yeah. Like, you know, you're going to put out podcasts while nobody is listening. And then, you know, once you find, hey, there's a half dozen people who are going back and listening to our first couple episodes. Oh, hey. Our you know new latest episode has this many more lessons, and then we see the ones going, but like people going back to the back catalog is a thing. Yeah. Ben, do we have time for one more question? Okay, I'm Get your brand out there, which will then create other opportunities. So, 
when uh, we landed our first book deal with HarperCollins, um, you know, we got to use that as leverage to get our next book deal. And then just the more you have under your belt, they understand that you get the process because there is a huge learning curve when you go from self-publishing to traditional publishing. And, and once you know the industry like anything else, um, people will be more willing to work with you because they don't have to teach you everything. But it's not an either-or situation. You have to do both, right? Mm, I still self-publish, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's also, like, makes me feel better, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else? Um, so, guys, thank you so much for coming out. Um, we'll just be outside for a few minutes if you didn't get your question answered or if you just want to come up and say hi. And the biggest thing that I can leave you with today is go network. Just ask for people's cards after the convention. Go send people emails. Like, that is the time that you'll be able to meet people that will help you in your career. So, happy writing, and thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>